Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Have you ever noticed that little blue dot on the map? When you open up Google Maps, you might be lost in a city and you're trying to find your way around and you see on the map this little blue dot. And it gives you a digital presence and a digital persona on something like your smartphone. It helps you understand where you are, what you're in close proximity to, or how to get from points A to B. We're going to be talking a little bit about that blue dot today, but not in the context of what it is and why it exists. But we're going to talk about how that blue dot can help transform business and really help you build profit and understand your customers a lot better. We're going to be talking about geofencing and exactly what that is. It's something that we've talked briefly about on the podcast before, but we haven't actually had a chance to talk about in detail. Today, I'm joined by Dion Fleming, who's a regular speaker on this podcast. He's from Lively, and I'm really happy to welcome in an expert on this topic, Philip Eldick, who's the co-founder and executive director of Blue Dot. Absolute pleasure, and thanks for having me on. Would you like to tell you, um, the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, my name is Philip and I'm one of the founders of Blue Dot and I act as our chief product officer. Uh, Personally about me, I have a background in IT. I started studying law for a while uh, and then flipped to a double degree in economics and politics out of all things, so a bit of a diverse background. In my last year of university in 2013, I started Blue Dot uh, with with my co-founder Emil. I currently run our product uh, solution engineering, customer experience, and QA teams. So quite technical and, and uh, relatively knowledgeable about uh, geofencing. And most recently, I actually, due to my work around geofencing, I uh, was awarded Forbes 30 under 30 in enterprise technology. Um, wow, so, congrats. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. How did you guys come up with the name Blue Dot? I'm curious. It was a it was a, a beautiful story uh, that took a couple of cartons of beer, us <laughs> sitting around and trying to actually use those cartons of beer to bribe other people to give us ideas for a name because we couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> and after drinking all the beers, we opened up Google Maps and then saw that your location was represented as a blue dot. And that was about it. I love that. Actually, Oliver, who is the MD of Lively, he loves to talk about the blue dot on Google Maps and we talk about it a lot. But I think it's funny that's like we're so reliant on that little blue dot to give us that context of where we are how we're moving around the fact that it gives us like a digital sense of self the fact that it can follow us around and and guide us on where we are but something we don't often talk about on this podcast is the opportunity that that presents for business and how they can use that blue dot to their advantage in in many cases and I'm sure Philip you've got a lot that you could explain with regards to that But firstly, I might just talk about Blue Dot in terms of the actual services that you guys provide, Philip, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of a rundown. Would love to. So uh, Blue Dot is a company that specializes in hyper-accurate geofencing technologies. We produce a SDK or a software development kit that will plug into smartphone applications of our customers. Once the technology is plugged into the smartphone application and the person who has it on their phone is granted access for that app to use their location, We can identify in real time when a user enters a location that's 20 times more accurate than the geofencing tools that are available on iOS and Android through the operating systems. So we can literally identify has a user entered into a location down to, let's say, five or 10 meters of accuracy or maybe a couple of parking spots. In order to do that, we don't need to deploy any hardware like Bluetooth beacons or Wi-Fi at any of these locations. We don't drain the battery of the smartphone. 
and most importantly, we place an incredible focus on protecting the privacy of the end customer throughout that process. Our technology is primarily used to enable businesses to engage with their customers through either timely messaging and then and marketing, or sometimes even to charge payments on phones, um, such as in some of our earlier use cases around tolling or mobile tolling. And uh, lastly, and probably the primary area of focus or usage for our technology at the moment is really to facilitate contactless or or frictionless pickup of food in curbside pickup areas and drive-throughs. So that's kind of a little bit of a little bit of background about us with a little bit of, I guess, a focus of the technology. But geofencing in itself is something that I'm passionate about. And I I believe that it has so much applicability and so much value to so many businesses. Yeah, I love geofencing. I remember the first time Dion ever explained it to me when I first started working for NGIS Australia in the group. You sort of described it to me, Dion, as like a tripwire. I remember you probably don't remember this, but with my marketing hat on, Geofencing is exciting. Being able to get the attention of your customers and your target audience when they're within a close proximity to, for example, a bricks and mortar store presents a huge amount of opportunities. Dion, you kind of explained it simply to me back in the beginning, but how would you explain the concept of geofencing? Yeah, I mean, the tripwire is definitely a word I've used before, probably came from Blue Dot. A lot of my understanding comes from comes from talking to these guys. Um, so yeah, the way the way that I would probably describe it for people that haven't heard much about it is that it's it's a, essentially a service that's built into an app like uh, Philip mentioned usually in the form of an SDK and effectively what it is is some sort of digital or virtual boundary um, or a tripwire like a line or a point with a radius around it or something like that and effectively that then acts as a, a trigger so when the mobile device passes into that boundary or passes through the the line that then can do things like trigger alerts push notifications it can sort of limit things within the app um, so it's sort of like it can be used for anything. It's really just an event. Um, that's the beauty of it. And I think it's sort of pervasive across so many industries that it's kind of hard to say this is the one thing that it does or this is the one benefit. It's, it's so broad. Geofencing is a way to understand a moment in the customer's or the person's journey. Mm. So usually if you think about navigation, it's where do you want to go in the future? If you think about sometimes tracking solutions, where have you been in the past? What geofencing really focuses on is trying to identify a moment, a very important moment in a person's journey and transform that moment in a chance to delight uh, the customer or the user of the application through delivering a, a valuable transformative service to them. And that's really what we focus on. What do you think are some of the most exciting things about geofencing technology from a business perspective, Philip? Uh, great question. And, and uh, there's two standout aspects for me. The first one is that geofencing uh, doesn't need any hardware to be deployed at particular locations. So no beacons, no Wi-Fi, no facial recognition cameras, nothing like that. What that means is that geofencing technologies are incredibly scalable. If you want to know when someone's on the top of a mountain, or I personally use that technology to time myself racing around racetracks uh, to measure my lap times on it, you can literally just you know zoom in on a map, draw a line or a tripwire, as, as Dion mentioned, and say, please let me know when I've gotten to that location and collect data or trigger actions of that, uh, off of that. So the scalability is something uh, in, incredible. And the second part uh, that's very important for me is that geofencing gives you an ability to deliver value to customers, uh, but without infringing on their privacy. 
So unlike, for instance, a tracking solution that's trying to understand where a person is 24 hours a day, with geofencing, you're trying to understand when someone gets to that one moment in their journey. You don't care where they've been before. You don't care where they go after. And it really minimizes the privacy impact on customers while still delivering that value and that experience. And that, that's those two aspects for me are just the best parts of geofencing. Going a little bit more conceptual, I mean, they're really two really good points, but sort of when I think about it, I think even more conceptually than that at a really high level, that it's really like a, it's almost like AR in a way. So it's like fusing digital and the real world um, in a really cool way. So you've got all this information, you've got all these maybe push notifications you want to offer, all these sorts of things. They exist in a digital world and you get targeted advertising like like we do on, on apps and things and on websites. But now it's about bringing that into the real world, which is a really cool fusion, I thought between the two um so yeah I, I sort of thought almost like ar like augmented reality in a way which it's um yeah pretty exciting sort of stuff the way that we commonly talk about it also is uh, using location technology to connect people with the world around them yeah. right sometimes you know we've seen use cases around where geofencing is used to unlock your garage and turn your tv on as soon as you come home right and understanding when a, uh, when a user enters a location isn't just about the location itself. It's about what does that location, are you being in that location, what kind of context does it have to bring to your life? And if it's done well, it can be really, really powerful. Have you guys ever heard about a um, security camera technology called Arlo? I haven't, no. No, oh. okay, so side note. My house got broken into at the beginning of this year because 2020 is so much fun and so great for everybody mm-hmm. at the moment. That's how we started our year. Um, We actually went like after, you know, you get really paranoid, you're having to deal with all of these things with, you know, replacing your credit cards and what have you, won't get into it. But what we did do was we invested in some security cameras for our house and we got recommended this company called Arlo, who is not sponsoring this podcast and people are probably like, why is she talking about them? There's a very good point. That is the first time that I saw and had opted into the fact that geofencing was a capability of this, the software that comes with the security cameras. Exactly like you were saying, Philip, we installed the cameras. When we leave our house, it actually knows that we've left the house. Um, when we get with, I think, a half a kilometre, you can set, I think you can actually set the distance. Like when you leave the house, if we go out for a walk and we have our phone on us or if we're leaving in the car, it will trigger those cameras to turn on automatically. And when we're at home, they'll turn off because the geofencing tells the cameras that we're home. So that was, for me, the first time that I saw the things that I talk about at work actually get applied into my real life. And man, it, it's pretty damn cool because when we come home in the afternoons, just as we're turning onto the street, you hear this little notification on your phone and it's, it's, it's sort of telling you, hey, we know that you're home, now we're going to turn off the cameras. But it also then sends us the alerts we need if the cameras pick up any sort of suspicious activity around the house when it knows that we're not there. So yeah, geofencing, putting my mind at ease in 2020, just saying. <laughs> That's a great use case and, and uh, I think really shows how, how a little bit of technology can go a long way to improving people's lives. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just as well in some of the industries that we've been talking about in terms of like, I think definitely there's, you see geofencing in apps work really well with retail, but I think in terms of addressing pain points around security, I think it's just another great example of how geofencing can be deployed into a, an industry to really help people and, and take a moment in time that could be very hard for somebody and make it a bit better and put people's minds at ease. What are some of the other industries, Philip and Dion, that you see geofencing bringing the most value to? 
Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll kick off. Uh, so there's three, uh, there's probably, I guess, three key industries that, that we work in as, as Blue Dot. The first one is definitely uh, around food and beverage, you know, hospitality, quick service restaurants, that kind of thing. COVID especially recently changed a lot of things uh, in terms of how people interact with businesses. And uh, one thing that's become very, very prominent is the businesses are trying to understand when their customers get to their stores and use that information to uh, not just to market to them and up the spend, but more importantly, to deliver zero contact pickup experiences at store um, and, and really protect the health of the customer. So that's where geofencing is really providing a massive benefit. The other one is sort of your grocery and retail kind of industries and businesses. You know, a lot of them operate now on click and collect services. And, you know, if you've bought a TV, you can't, uh, you know, it takes a bit of time to get the TV out of the warehouse, prepare to get all your groceries together. So being able to understand when a user is coming close at a particular proximity and is on their way to pick the order up ensures that you can actually prepare that and give them a good experience. The last one where uh, we're finding that geofencing is transforming the industry, and this is where uh, where we started off our company, it's in transport. Now, we're moving to an era of you know, ride sharing, autonomous vehicles, mass rapid public transport. We're being separated from the car itself, and we're, uh, you know, we tend to use a mix of transports throughout our week. So with accurate geofencing, you can actually connect with users uh, at any part of their journey and deliver valuable connected experiences to them. Our technology is used to pay, for instance, for tolls on toll roads. It's also used to help pay for fuel at gas stations, and you can even use it to pay for public transport costs. So, you know, as a response to changing environment in, in the transport industry, geofencing has just so much applicability and can deliver such service to customers. Man, the toll road example is pretty cool because, um, I mean, I, I'm from New South Wales originally and I remember the sort of advent of um, having the physical toll booths and, you, had, you know, your dad had all the change in the car and, I mean, well, Perth doesn't have any toll roads. So no, I've never Dion's like it. nodding along. I'm like, you don't know anything about toll roads. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, but then having those little e-tag things, Philip, and then so are you saying with geofencing technology and toll roads now it's a matter of just having your smartphone in the car with you? 100%. So that was the original vision for Blue Dot. We wanted to build the world's first mobile tolling platform, an app that was going to pay for your tolls and you're going onto a toll road or a toll bridge. Uh, for the record, I grew up in Adelaide, which also has no toll road. So how I came up with that idea, I'm not too sure. But <laughs> you must have traveled um, to Europe and, and been through like the 15 to 20 toll roads. Have you, have you, been, have you been and experienced the toll road system in Europe? Before? I have. I lived in Europe for a fair period as well. So that, that's uh, that's probably where a bit of experience comes yeah. from. Yeah. yeah. So what, what Blue Dot does is we work with, uh, you know, large transport operators. Uh, uh, one of our primary clients is Transurban that operates toll roads across Australia and also the US. And literally now there's an application called Linked Go in Australia or Go Toll in, in the US. It's operational in Virginia and it's, it's powered by our technology. And quite literally, you don't have to have an e-tag, you don't have to have cash, you don't have to have anything. You literally just have your phone in your pocket. You're driving 100 miles an hour uh, and we're picking up when users enter into areas as, as accurate as road lanes and uh, charging automated payments without any interaction from the customer. So replacing the hardware. That's so cool. I, I think that would be awesome as well if it could be that same way of thinking could be applied to taking like a train, for example. Like when I was living in London, it was like, yeah, the Oyster cards and then it evolved into the contactless credit card payments to get through the gates. But mm. imagine if you didn't have the gates at all. Imagine if you could just walk straight down into the platform and knows when you're there. And then when you get off at a certain location, it knows exactly how far you've traveled. 
that would be unreal. Yeah, that, that's the goal. Frictionless, you know, frictionless interactions with the world around us and geofencing plays a big part there. Definitely. Dion, did you have any views on sort of industries that you see benefiting quite think, well from geofencing? Yeah, I think, of course, Philip's seen a lot of it. Um, mm. one, that I, one that I sort of thought about, we've done a little bit of work with it actually, um, which sort of comes back to the transport piece, but um, really around mining and agriculture. So again, it's around vehicles, but um, things like speed limiting, for example, so there's a lot of vehicles in mine sites and that sort of thing. They want to make sure that when they're in certain areas of the mine site, they can't go above 30 kilometres or 40 kilometres. And so they can do that all with, with geofencing. So you've got a, a GPS in the car and you can say these areas, they're only allowed to go these speeds. Once they're on the highway, they can go this speed. Being able to customise that, it's yeah, really, really powerful because otherwise in the past it would have been like you just said it, that they can only go 40 everywhere and then you find that people are taking hours to drive between mine sites and you, it's, it's those sorts of things. Having the, the sort of dynamic nature of it is yeah, really powerful. And, again, and then again with agriculture, so you've got harvesters and these sorts of things and being able to control those and then being able to um, see which paddock they're in or what, what they're working on at the moment. If they're automated, then there's obviously so much location data coming back from them. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of value in those industries as well. But I think it applies to so many industries. It's, it's just, yeah, really exciting to see sort of what's next. Yeah, definitely. Philip, you have, um, I've been looking into Blue Dot. I've also been talking to Dion, who's been telling me about what you guys have been up to and you guys are just kicking goals lately. I can see you've been very busy, but that you've also, you've been working on some pretty cool projects. A couple that come to mind, um, some of the work you've done with McDonald's, with Dunkin' Donuts. What have been some of the the highlights for you recently? Some of these cool projects, what can you share with our listeners? Well, there's there's two that I can, uh, I'll talk about and and I will talk about McDonald's and and Dunkin' Donuts. I I think that these are some of the most valuable and, and interesting use cases that we power with geofencing. Uh, the first one is Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, they actually came to us with a pretty interesting challenge. They said, we want to do frictionless drive-through experiences. So we want a customer who's placed an order on their mobile phone to just breeze through the drive-through. We don't want them to have to even identify themselves, say who they are, interact with the person, nothing. How are we going to achieve that with geofencing? So what we did is we, we have a bit of technology uh, called geolines, and these are effectively thin virtual little tripwires. You literally just draw a line as a tripwire, and when a user steps across it or drives through it, we pick that up and, and can drive some kind of an action. Now, what we did is we set these uh, lines up at the speaker box and also the pickup window in a drive through And what would happen is that when a user would uh, place an order, as they drive up to the speaker box, the person, the operator in the actual uh, drive-through would get a special chime in their headset to indicate that it's someone with a pre-order. They'd greet you by name and they just say, oh, just skip the queue, just drive straight up to the window. And you drive up to the window and your food is waiting for you there in the window. You don't have to interact with a single person. You just grab it and you drive off. Now, it doesn't sound uh, like this massive, amazing thing, but just picture yourself uh, rushing to, late to work, trying to pick up a coffee in the morning and you haven't had time to grab a coffee. That kind of an experience, that kind of smoothness changes your morning, changes really your day. And for the business, what it does uh, is, is truly incredible. We actually found that it saves on average about 25 seconds per customer waiting in the actual, uh, on the actual window. And that gets about four or five extra cars per peak hour through the drive through so it's helping them not just drive a good experience for their uh, for their customers, but also get more customers through and drive revenue. And it's a really, you know, uh, a really interesting use case of, of, of geofencing. 
The other one uh, is slightly more fun uh, rather than sort of a bit more technical and operational. Uh, recently, we went live with McDonald's Real World Monopoly campaign. And this is an augmented reality game that's kicked off when a user enters a geofence as, as uh, defined by BlueDot. And uh, you get to play this augmented reality game. You get to shuffle around, you know, hats or, or scratch something, and you get to win a share of $532 million of prizes. So there's a bit of coin to be won through geofencing games. Um, now, we worked with a couple of amazing agencies on this one, including Accelo. We set up 33,000 geofences blanketing Australia. So every square inch of Australia basically has, has a game location, and these switch on and off at, at different times of day. And we're actually seeing the game being played up to 600,000 times a day. And this has been incredibly fun to deploy, incredibly challenging, as you can imagine, because it's been a big scale. But most importantly, it is a, a beautiful experience for people who really enjoy playing the game, who get free stuff out of it, get some value out of it, and working with an amazing team and amazing brand. So uh, the, these two use cases have kept me um, excited and, and up and motivated for, uh, for the past year, for sure. I have a confession to make. I have the McDonald's Monopoly <laughs> app on my phone. <laughs> you were talking about it and I'm like, no way you worked on that. I, yeah, no, shameless. I, I'm, I definitely have it because I, a few weeks ago, went and got McDonald's and they had the Monopoly thing, which by the way, they have been doing since I was a kid. That promotion, they've been running that Monopoly promotion since I was like a little kid. And I downloaded the app because I wanted to know if I was going to win anything. And I have to say... It's a pretty cool app. <laughs> the music, everything about it, the graphics, the the sort of the way you roll the dice and what happens. And I'm sitting there on it and I'm like, like 15 minutes later, I was still on this thing. I had to get on a work call. It was just after lunch and I was like, damn, I'm having so much fun on this thing. However, because I haven't been back to McDonald's, I don't think I've encountered one of your trip lines yet, Philip. Yep, um, you should definitely play it. There's a little uh, button there you click on it called, uh, called Real World Monopoly to show you where the game locations are around you. Um, and uh, believe it or not, the game is so popular. Uh, it's sometimes hard to even uh, sort of grasp this, but 10% of the Australian population uses the app at some point when the campaign is active. Um, it is it is incredible, an incredible reach and, and just a beautiful, a beautiful experience and beautiful use of geofencing. I think it's... Um a really nice way as well. Um, just off the top of my head, I remember uh, maybe it was one of the last Monopoly campaigns that McDonald's did, but my dad actually had the app. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really cool is that the ability of being alerted when you're in a game zone, for example, like that sort of thing can transcend generations. You know, you get that alert all of a sudden having your target audience and thinking that you're only dealing with people in a certain age bracket, it's gone out the window. You can literally get everybody, any age, any demographic, they love a bit of a game. They love a bit of fun. So, yeah, it's really, really cool. Well done. And um, as someone that's used it, I haven't done the geofencing. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, really, really fun. You guys must have an absolute ball doing this I stuff. We do have a lot of fun, but trust me, working for weeks or months on a, a campaign for McDonald's, um, all I wanted to do was eat McDonald's for a period. <laughs> <laughs> We, we do have a, a fair bit of fun, uh, both in terms of just the business, but also working with the technology. Um, you know, just testing geofencing technology means you have to be out in the world and then driving around, walking around, you know, actually acting how people would act to see how it works. So, uh, so some amazing war stories that, that come out of that as well. 
makes me want to keep like, we, we're one day down we're gonna we're gonna pl- we're gonna we're just for fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> just for fun we've been trying to do it for so long um i want to talk about just going back to something you said earlier philip and dion i'd also love to get your thoughts on this too is this this whole idea about the coexistence of location data and privacy you've talked about privacy a couple of times now philip can location data and privacy coexist with each other and how are you navigating that issue at blue dot they can 100% and this is an area that i'm incredibly passionate about and it's something that we we you know really baked into the the ethos of the company and the product i'm going to share a kind of a a bad example of how location technology can be used to infringe on privacy and then i'll talk about sort of how we uh, how we actually go around that so a while ago, there was a news story that came out about Tim Hortons in Canada. So this is a, a large coffee chain. And a journalist actually picked up that they were utilizing a location technology in their phone. And it was a location technology that would track relatively constantly throughout the day and try and just gather as much location data about users. For the journalist, it picked up where he lived, where he worked, when he went to a baseball game, and when he visited his ex-girlfriend's house let alone all the other moments. And this was turned into actionable moments for, uh, for the company to try and market to him when he leaves his house, when he leaves work, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the important part is that that wasn't disclosed to customers and that wasn't tied to value for customers. There wasn't you know, an explanation saying, hey, when you get to our store, we'll use your location to do this and give you this value. Rather, it was just sucking up as much data as possible. So... We, years ago, like I said, we built uh, a lot of safeguards in our technology that prevent that. And recently we published our privacy declaration on our website. We wanted to, you know, just establish what are the set of rules that, that we follow and that we believe everyone else should follow in order to, uh, to give value to customers while protecting the privacy. Now, there's quite a lot in there and I won't go through all of it, but I'll just highlight a couple of uh, key concepts that exist for us. The first one is data proportionality. So you want to collect the smallest amount of location data that you need in order to deliver value to the customer. So for us, you know, when we set up a geofence at a Dunkin' Donuts drive-through and we're trying to identify when you get to that drive-through to get you through quicker, we only know when you arrive at that drive-through. Any other location updates that get generated by the phone when it tries to identify are you in or outside of that geofence, we delete them on the phone. They never hit our servers, they're never recorded. So what that means is that no matter where you go throughout your day, no matter what you do, we only know that one moment in your journey when you get to Dunkin' Donuts, nothing else. So that's really, really important. The other part, the other two parts are that one, for one, we never identify users or even mobile phones. So if you, for instance, are using the McDonald's Monopoly application and our tech is on it, all I see is a random number that's not tied to the device, just to that one app install that has reached a location. If you use a second application, we see this as a completely different number. So we, all we see is app, the individual applications. We never see it, a device itself. We never uh, identify a person who owns that device. We never collect any personal identifiable information. So it's possible to you know, deliver value with a small amount of data and without personal information. And the last part uh, is that we never, ever sell any location data, no matter how, how anonymized, no matter how minimal in quantity, we never sell it to either third parties, nor do we share it between our customers. So if we're powering a you know, tolling platform and a, and a restaurant platform, they can't see any location data being generated from them. And we can't even establish patterns between, uh, between those two. 
So privacy can coexist with location data, but it takes the technology and the business behind it to be conscientious, to put in a bit of effort, to maybe sometimes sacrifice a bit of revenue or functionality and put the individual person and what we believe that should be a human right, the right to privacy first above functionality or profit. I think, yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the final point you mentioned there, it comes down to obviously it's the, the company that's collecting the data really to enable the experience to happen. The app needs to be, to be trusted by the user, um, which can be hard to build in this sort of world. And obviously the EU's got the GDPR where you're opting in for the collection of data and that sort of thing, which is probably a good way to do it. Like Philip mentioned, there's the example where the journalist didn't realise that his data was being collected and automatically that's going to, that's a huge red flag. You, you can't be doing that. So you've got to make it really, really open and uh, transparent, I think. Um, I mean, I know I've got an iPhone, as many people do, and you see, uh, I think in the latest iOS or the last probably two um, updates, they now uh, let you know when an app is tracking your location and that sort of thing. So they, they're sort of increasing the transparency a little bit more. So if the app's tracking it constantly, it then comes up and says, this app has tracked your location this many times in the last day or last week. So that sort of thing, I think that's a good step. But then I think the other side of it is all around sort of legislation um, to make sure that when, when data is being collected, that there's yeah, necessary sort of protections for the user and that sort of thing. And the customer value is, is incredibly important here, you know, that, that transparency and that value connection. We all use Uber Eats and Uber, and they all use location technology, and they get us to where we need or get us fed, right? We're all very happy to give location data for that. Where I think the, uh, uh, the transparency is important is that it shines a light on use cases with location technology where it will just sort of say, I'm, I'm spying on you. I'm just tracking you. I'm trying to identify who you are, what your habits are, so I can market and sell to you better through God knows what kind of channels. Those kind of use cases are really dying because there is just an increasing maturity and awareness of customers on how location technology works and what actually is being collected from them. And uh, to be honest, it's been a long overdue change to to both legislation, to how operating systems work, um, and and we we fought welcome it uh, significantly. Yeah, it seems like the last maybe five, ten years ago, or the last. Um, a few years has been a bit like wild west of sorts that so people are just doing whatever they like and now finally everyone's catching up um, which is a good thing because like philip said there's so many good things that come out of it it sort of reminds me of another a bit of a plug but not that um, they sponsor the show but um there's a great netflix show called the social dilemma um that i watched on the weekend and so talking about social media mainly and tracking but it sort of um yeah parallels this situation where you've got sort of what they refer to as simultaneous uh, utopia and dystopia. So there's so many really great things that you can do with the technology, but then there's a, a dark side to it as well if you want to go down that path. So I think the key is, um, yeah, making sure that you show the value to the user. Like Philip said, we use Uber, we use Domino's uh, pizza, pizza delivery and all that sort of thing. Uh, that's all really valuable, valuable services that we get from it. So the key is showing the value to the user and they, that builds trust. I was just going to say it must be, I mean, you know, a little while back when, you know, things were a little bit wild, wild west, as you mentioned, Dion, but for you, Philip, as a company trying to do the right thing, really, really frustrating when you see companies doing the wrong thing, because you don't all want to be painted with the same brush either. But at the end of the day, when a user opens up an app and it says, this app wants to access your location, they're not thinking about the person that built it. So it's good to hear that, you know, the right steps are being taken now. Yeah, man, we, we've always wanted, you know, if an app uh, says, you know, powered by Blue Dot, we, want, we wanted it to mean not just powered by, you know, great performance, 
accuracy and the technological aspects of the of, of our product. We also wanted it to be powered by transparency and trust, and that's a you know that's been a mainstay for us from from when we started. We actually worked with uh, the former Privacy Commissioner of Australia, Malcolm Crompton, in the early days to design our data collection model. And, uh, you know, I remember clearly he said, look, you can design it to be as good as everyone else's or you can actually design it to properly protect the privacy of people. And we, we, we chose the latter. And that's what's put us in a good position now where we can deliver amazing value, but while still, uh, you know, uh, not having a trade off when it comes to privacy. Definitely. Well, I really feel like we've got another whole podcast episode there that we could record where we just talk about how location data and privacy can coexist with each other. So, Philip, you've just locked yourself in, my friend. Once you've had, you know, time to chill out a bit maybe over the Christmas break, I'll be calling you <laughs> so we can talk about this a little bit more because I find it really interesting. I, In fact, I studied the EU GDPR when I was living over in London. I was um, So every business over there had to have somebody that was like, I guess, the superintendent of data privacy and understanding how the legislation worked. It was intense. What I have to say is that that was a, a legislation. Everybody had to do that. Everybody had to comply by a certain date. The rules, the penalties around doing the wrong thing are very severe. But what's worth noting is as a part of that training, you also learn about the countries that don't have adequate data protection laws in place. And one of them, I hope that this is changing a bit, but Australia is not in line with EU GDPR standards. It's very hard for anyone to try and do business from the EU with an Australian company if they don't have those right data protection um, precautions in place in their company as well. Um, So I think it's just a matter of time, you know, before we see... Australia get a bit of a swift kick, mm, if you know what so. I mean, um, <laughs> around what their standards are and, and standards of business here. I agree. The one thing I would also highlight, uh, however, is that it's better to have even just GDPR because when we think about the products that get built these days, you know, the websites, the applications, et cetera, generally you're building it for a global market immediately. Mm. And what happens is that you're actually always building it towards the highest uh, highest denominator. So if, uh, you know, GDPR says, you know, you need to f- follow these, uh, these rules or these set of guidelines to protect the customer and you want your technology to work globally, you're going to build it to that standard, even though other countries may not have that legislative protection. So it's just good to see that progress. And what that does is also uh, then starts a cascading effect. You know, you've had CCPA uh, passing in California as well, uh, which has established a US framework for that. And more and more countries uh, are adopting those kind of frameworks. But uh, whatever they do, you're always going to try and adhere to the strictest protection standards in order to make sure that you're compliant globally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, that's all we've got time for on today's episode. Philip, thank you so much for for coming onto the podcast and talking about Blue Dot, what you guys have been up to, just introducing yourself to our listeners. It's been really great. And like I mentioned, it's something that Dion and I really like. So we're just really happy to get together and riff off about all of this stuff. Thanks so much. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And uh, uh, thank you to anyone who's listening. Did you have any recommendations, by the way, for anyone that might be listening that might like to learn a little bit more about Blue Dot? 
Definitely. So um, we uh, just primarily go to our website. There is a, a dedicated page that's called "What is Geofencing." Uh, so just just Google "What is Geofencing Blue Dot." It will give you a raft of information, um, and also there's links to a few other uh, websites in there. Uh, apart from that, I'd also recommend people to get busy on Medium. It's an amazing platform uh, that really provides a a wealth of knowledge from experts as well on any topic, particularly geofencing as well. Awesome. Dion, my friend, thank you once again for being my wingman on the podcast. No it's worries. always a pleasure. It's a pleasure and it's all mine. If you love the NGIS podcast and you want to hear what's happening in the world of geospatial technology, remember that you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Google Podcasts. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.